welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com. I'm joined, as always, by my fellow staff writer, Ben Lindbergh. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hello. So we start with news out of Washington, D.C., which is somewhat less ominous for us than it is for <laughs> other broadcast programs across the country. So on Tuesday night, I love this story so much. I can. <laughs> on Tuesday night, the Washington Nationals stole seven bases off of the battery of Jake Arrieta and Miguel Montero. Montero mm-hmm. has never been good at throwing out base runners. He's always been a very good hitter, and that pattern is held uh, this year in the last year of his contract. So after the game, they asked Montero, they, you know, the, the media asked Montero about it and he threw Jake Arrieta under the bus. Yes, completely. In a a way that just in plain English, like, you know, like there are coded ways to, you know, we got to do better. You know, we as (laughs) a team have to hold on. No, he's like, not subtle. No, he's like, my pitchers are holding on to the ball too long. You know, I'm not, I, so so then within 24 hours, he was DFA'd, which mm-hmm. I guess the Cubs can do because they have Wilson Contreras and Montero is old and not the player he once was. I mean, man, like it all happened so fast, too. Like it did. It, like it was like watching, you know, we talked about news from Washington, but it was like watching one of those Friday 5 p.m. news <laughs> dumps of like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah, it was like I heard comments from Anthony Rizzo the morning after on an interview saying something about how their other catcher, Wilson Contreras, is having no problem throwing people out, which was quite true. And then shortly after that came out, Montero was gone. And yeah, I mean, what he's doing this year is out of character for him. He's never been an incredible throwing catcher, but he's basically league average for his career. So he was probably he's one for 32, I think, this year. But yeah, like, you know, watching the Montero news and like, you know, the Montero watching the Montero news is a funny enough thing to say in <laughs> Right. year 2017 but it, yeah it was like the the last minute of all the president's men just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he he has to be one of the the best players ever designated for assignment right or i don't know where he would rank on that list but he was hitting very well for a catcher and his framing is pretty good it kind of makes up for the throwing so he'd definitely been contributing to the team and the really funny thing about it to me is is that he was regarded as a clubhouse leader slash mentor type up until very recently. Like I Googled this morning to see what his reputation on the team was. And he did have that episode where he complained about his lack of playing time late last year and in the playoffs. And maybe he had a legitimate gripe there because Madden hadn't really communicated it to him very well. But there were a lot of articles this spring about how with David Ross gone, Miguel Montero was the leader, had always been the leader in the clubhouse that he'd been a source of positivity. Of course, he was well-known for his tweets about how the Cubs are good, and that became a, a hashtag. So he was kind of a clubhouse leader, and that's something that we see very often in baseball. A team that's reputed to have a good clubhouse will suddenly have a bad clubhouse all of a sudden. We're seeing that with the Giants now, right? Suddenly there's clubhouse dissension with the Giants because they are not winning, and they were like the model clubhouse you team mean, over the last several years. Uh, this, it sounds like you're insinuating that the best way to have a good clubhouse is to win all the time like that's actually yes, what makes people I was happy saying that roughly as subtly as montero was saying that jake arietta was costing him stolen bases yes i do think that that is true obviously the cubs have struggled and were expected to be the best team in baseball and have just limped to a, a roughly 500 record to this point and yeah maybe this is the crack starting to show and they got rid of montero very very quickly i suppose to their credit if they want to nip the clubhouse dissension in the bud, although he is a pretty decent player. So that hurts them a little bit too. But I am always struck by that when a a player who has a good clubhouse reputation suddenly will flip the other way, or or sometimes it'll be going from bad to good or a team going from bad to good or good to bad, just seemingly solely based on results. And so Montero is frustrated by his sudden inability to throw anyone out. And now he's making comments about it. So Montero is also an interesting case study because he's got a reputation. I wonder how much of the the good clubhouse guy thing is 
he was also one of the unwritten rules guys back when he was in Arizona. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, a lot of times those things get sort of conflated, uh, but he's mm-hmm. always had a, a reputation for being outspoken, which is something yeah. as someone who's, uh, you know, tried to get information out of him in a clubhouse. I appreciate a great deal. His, yeah. uh, his outspokenness, but apparently not so much the Cubs anymore. <laughs> yeah. Normally I would say he has a point because often the pitcher is more responsible for the caught stealing rate than the catcher is. And Arietta is actually slow to the plate, but I think Montero has the slowest pop time or the, the worst pop time in baseball this year. So clearly he is contributing to it. And Wilson Contreras has not had an issue and Montero has been extremely unsuccessful throwing out runners. Yeah. So, two more things that I I want to talk about with this. As hilarious as this is on its face, it's even more hilarious that we're talking about a pitcher, a Cubs starting pitcher's inability to control the running game, (laughs) and it's not John Lester. (laughs) Um, And the other thing is, like, I want, like, what Trey Turner did in the first couple innings of this game, like, he went four for four, like, right off the bat, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I... God, I, I just want I want more guys to get on first and just run until they throw you out. Like that yeah. is so much fun to watch. And I'm I don't know, I hope Montero lands somewhere so more guys can steal off him. <laughs> All right. Well, I know that this is one of your favorite stories of the baseball season. Yeah, but... another one of my favorite stories. You <laughs> yeah. thought we were gonna get through this. Congratulations <laughs> to the Florida Gators on sweeping Ooh. the the College World Series final in controversial fashion. Did you see any of this? Did you see I the, the sure controversial interference play? So no. uh, Florida was leading two to one. And actually, we're going to do a draft later in this episode. And I will mm-hmm. give you the first pick if you can name the team that Florida beat in the final. Was it LSU? And there you go. That's... <laughs> <laughs> All right. All first right. Pick. <laughs> so anyway, so Florida's leading, leading two to one. Late in the game, LSU has runners at the corners and nobody out. And first baseman Jake Slaughter is on first base. Ball gets hit. Uh, it's a double play ball. Slaughter tries a takeout slide and goes out of the baseline and is called out, not only assuming the double play, which uh, causing the umpires to to call the double play, which Florida got anyway, but they pull the tying run back from third back to third base. So mm-hmm. this I mean, it was just a, a huge call for an umpire to make ultimately correct. But I mean, that, that run never came home and Florida wound up tacking on some runs late in the game. The other big thing from this game is Kevin O'Sullivan, Florida's coach has been sort of mixing and matching his pitching staff um, because his ace, Alex Fiedo went in the last game of the semifinal against TCU. So he wasn't available to start in any of the three games, but so he went with an untested freshman who uh, Tyler Dyson, who pitched really well and then went to his closer, Michael Byrne, who started to get beat up a little bit. So instead of uh, so he takes his game three starter, Jackson Coar, and brings him in out of the bullpen in the eighth inning to, to get the save, which uh-huh. I mean, and there was like nobody left. I mean, it's Florida, so Florida's always got arms, but it's just a huge win now move. I wonder what you think about this. The you know, if you've got one if you've got a one run lead in the eighth inning and it's like you're he's. Cars was their number three starting pitcher essentially. So you've used all your, you've used your first two starting pitchers. You've used your weekend guy. You've used your, or, sorry, you've used your midweek starter. You've used your closer already. And the one pitcher that you really trust is the guy you're going to need to start game three against Alex Lang if necessary. Do you bring him in for that save? It's a huge, huge decision to make, and you know it, it panned out for him, but it's. Man, that that took some guts. Yeah. Well, my main takeaway from this segment is that college baseball is over now. (laughs) So you might have a hard time coming up with future college baseball discussions. You brought up iTunes last week. You sent me a send me an iTunes (laughs) review that says we need more college baseball discussion. So we'll figure out. We'll we'll do uh, we'll do Team USA or we'll do um, uh, Cape Cod League or something like that. That was a lone voice crying in the wilderness. I'm sure. All right. So you may not 
have realized this, listener, but we are 48.2% of the way through this baseball this. regular season, which means that by the time our next episode comes out, we will be halfway through this regular season. The first half will be over, not the nominal pre-All-Star break first half, but the actual first half Does that in terms you? of baseball played. That bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a historical convention, so it's, it's a standard we can compare to previous years very easily with, but I wish that whoever had decided to divide the year into halves whenever that decision was made had decided on actual halves. It would make things a little bit neater. But yeah, looking at actual games played, we are now just about halfway through the season. So we figured that this would be a good time to review the first half to draft our favorite storylines from the first half and maybe also talk a bit about how they'll hold up in the second half or what we're looking forward to in the second half and i guess i now have the, yeah, the first pick, pick in this draft thanks to my miraculous LSU poll. <laughs> all right i'm gonna take aaron judge with my first oh, overall thank pick, god i think and i don't know maybe it's a reach to pick one player with uh with your first overall pick and it's also it feels almost wrong to draft judge without drafting Cody Bellinger at this point, since they're almost a package deal. But I sort of reject that premise because I think judge has been significantly better than Bellinger, even aside from the fact that he's gotten more playing time. But I think judge just maybe it's the fact that he plays in New York and gets more attention than he would anywhere else. But I think Aaron judge would get plenty of attention no matter where he's playing. He's eight feet tall. He has been the best hitter and best player in baseball in the first half. It's come completely out of nowhere. He was a prospect, but not a top prospect. And right now, I think you'd have to consider him the MVP favorite just based on Mike Trout's absence. And if he does win the MVP, I think he will be the most out of nowhere MVP ever. Certainly in terms of previous career accomplishments, he hits the ball very far and very high and it's fun to watch him do that whether he gets all of it and hits it 500 feet or barely gets any of it and still hits it 400 feet i have loved watching judge if you just wanted to take the most improbable player performance of the first half it would be aaron judge and if you wanted to take the best player performance of the first half it would be aaron judge so i think either way you can't go wrong yeah, I, he wasn't on my board just because I'm, you know, I've written about him. We talked about him so much that it's it's such a reason all the joy for him to be it. on the board. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a good distinction that you make between him and Bellinger because I mean Bellinger's been great, and I'm taking nothing away from Bellinger, who has been his own revolutionary, enormous, huge young man. Mm-hmm. But Judge, like Judge, has been a great hitter, and Bellinger's hit a lot of home runs. And there's mm-hmm. a difference. And not only that, it's it's not that Judge is putting up numbers or hitting the ball higher, farther, you know, faster, whatever. It's that he's almost in a way revolutionized hitting. Like we've literally never seen a guy like this. Like mm-hmm. his ability to to drive up a high Babip and ju- just because he's hitting the ball so hard, hitting so many line drives. I mean, we've never seen anything like it. So it's it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And as for whether it can continue, I think he struck out a bit more in June and you start to worry about what that means for his future. But I think he's also hit as well in June as he has prior to that. He really hasn't shown any signs of weakness and his plate discipline has been so solid throughout that that makes me think he can keep this up. So I expect more Aaron Judge fireworks from now on, maybe not quite to the extent that we've seen thus far, but just having someone who is larger than life in terms of physique and performance has been a lot of fun and watching him stand next to normal sized players who themselves are very large relative to the typical human has been a, a consistently fun sight this season so going with Aaron Judge possibly a reach with the number one overall pick that's good that's I can't yeah I mean we have talked about him an awful lot and when you write about someone and talk about someone that much you're right it does sap some of the joy from it but But just the fact that we have the only person who feels that way like (laughs) I don't think anybody else is tired of him yet no and the fact that we have talked about him so much means that I think he deserves the spot if we're talking about first half storylines 
All right, so with the number two overall pick, here's another thing we've talked about a lot and another thing that has resulted in a lot of home runs. And I was terrified you were going to take this with your number one pick <laughs> is the juiced baseballs. Number so, two on my board. Yeah. So it's I mean, it's interesting because it's it's the kind of story that you and I dig dig into because it's like baseball adjacent. Like it's not, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's, you know, we both love oh this team is doing well this team is doing poorly you know who's gonna cool off down the stretch that you know actual baseball stories but like this is it's you have to go into sort of the nuts and bolts of how baseball gets made literally in this case in order to understand how you juice a baseball what that means the different aerodynamic components and you Mm -hmm. and mitchell lickman have have gotten your hands on data rob arthur 538 wrote about it uh after you Mm -hmm. guys and expanded on that a little bit Mm -hmm. and just beyond that beyond like the opportunity to to talk about i guess real world thing i mean this isn't real world like this is just (laughs) extremely low low stakes just as inconsequential as everything else we talk about but in a slightly different way that was that was a bad choice of words but like (laughs) it's a baseball adjacent story but it's also like an extremely low stakes conspiracy theory that like i love you know it's like the frozen envelope with the nba draft with with patrick ewing or Mm -hmm. You know, something like that, that I'm just I'm really into that sort of thing. And it's given like we've talked about it with various podcast guests. I've talked about it with players a lot and gotten a variety of reactions ranging from like, I don't notice to, yeah, I think there's something to it to. Is it on purpose? Like, do you think that MLB is competent enough to (laughs) to do something like this and hide it like to do something like this on purpose and hide it for almost two years now and the answer to that question is yes i think they are i think rob manfred's up i mean he's he rules that sport yeah he's the most competent commissioner at least in, in american sports at least since david stern like that guy knows what's going on so and it's another thing that like oh you know do you think they could pull this off and it's just another rob manfred is not your goofy uncle and <laughs> But it's an outlet for those kind of feelings without any sort of real world consequence, like you said. Yeah. So it's so it's just something that I'm really eager to expend a lot of uh, <laughs> mental and emotional energy on right now, as opposed yeah. to, to other things. Yeah, I have learned a lot about physics from writing about baseballs. And, and yeah, you're right. It is a very low stakes conspiracy in that, A, I don't think it is a conspiracy. I think the ball is different, but I don't think it's an intentional change. But even if it were an intentional change or if it's an unintentional change, it doesn't really matter. I think baseball might be better off with the balls the way they are and the home run rate the way it is than the alternative, which we saw a few years ago. So it's totally fine. If it's true, if the ball is different, then it doesn't matter. I don't mind. I like this version of baseball. I think a lot of people like this version of baseball. And it's been a lot of fun to try to follow the thread and look for evidence in all sorts of different ways. And we seem to have detected with a pretty high degree of confidence, I would say, that the seams on the baseball are lower, which is contributing to it carrying farther. And it seems to be bouncier, too, and possibly a little bit smaller. So I do believe these differences. And you're starting to hear players and people in the game saying it more openly and more frequently. And I don't know how much stock to put into that, because if a pitcher like Justin Verlander, who came out and said he thinks the seams are a lot lower, well, he's also giving up a lot more home runs in the last couple of years. And you'd think that he would be an authority on whether the seams are different in that he's a very experienced pitcher who is throwing baseballs all the time. But he also has some motive or he yeah. has he and has he, reason he to can't be biased. Blame Jake Arrieta's slow wind up for yeah. his home run rate. No. So. so if you're a pitcher, it would be comforting to think that the ball is the reason that you're giving up home runs. So I don't know how much stock to put into the pitcher quotes and the manager quotes and the pitching coach quotes, although it is nice to have some backup from experienced baseball people when you're just studying stats and test results all day. But yes, I totally agree. This was going to be my next pick. Probably should have been my first pick. Would have been if I had known that Aaron Judge was not on your board. Hmm. But I think, yeah, I haven't had more fun with any baseball story than trying to find the truth about the baseball. All right. So my next pick... I think I will probably go with Mike Trout 
And there are really two components to the Mike Trout story. I don't know whether it's fair for me to draft both of them under the umbrella of Mike yeah, Trout. He's only but one man. So Yeah, well, but he's a special man. So the first reason that Mike Trout was great is that, of course, Mike Trout got better <laughs> this year, which is something that was not at all assured given how incredible he had been. And before he got hurt, he was playing at an unprecedented level for him. He was on track for one of the best seasons we've ever seen. I was very disappointed that that season was curtailed by his injury, although he will still come back, presumably, and have one of the most valuable seasons in baseball. It won't be his best ever or some kind of incredible peak Mike Trout year because of this time that he's missed. So it sort of has a bittersweet aspect to it in that sense, although I love that he found a way to get even better and to improve his plate discipline further and was you know, posting career highs in every category. But I also like the fact that the Angels have been so good without Mike Trout, which maybe this is a separate item. I don't know, but it's certainly related. It speaks to the crazy randomness of baseball that Mike Trout could miss all of this time and People were writing articles about how terrible the Angels were without Mike Trout, which certainly seemed to be the case. And yet the Angels without Mike Trout have played just as well as they played with Mike Trout. They have remained in the wild card race, if not gained in the wild card race since he got hurt. They've gotten improbable performances from all sorts of people. Eric Young Jr. replacing Trout has been very good. They have cobbled together a great bullpen out of complete castoffs and waiver bait and minor league free agents and people who haven't been good in years. And they've had one of the best bullpens during the time that he has been out just built on the cheap on the fly. So I love that you can lose the best player in baseball and be left with a collection of subpar players. And somehow for a month or so, that team can just keep trucking without missing a beat at all. And now the Angels are an even more interesting story when Trout does return fairly soon. They are in competitive position. And so you wonder whether they will be a buyer to the extent that their farm system allows them to be. Yeah, whereas say, They're not going to be buyers. What the hell are they going to buy? Yeah. Well, they can't shop at the top of the market, certainly, but they could pick up a, a second tier starter or something like that. But you wonder whether they will, because they, they would have been, you would have thought a seller to the extent that they have anything to sell. And now they have improbably found themselves in a position where they're getting trapped back and they're, as well positioned as they were when they lost him. On Wednesday, they actually won on a walk-off strikeout. The first time that's happened since 2010. So all sorts of strangeness. I think the whole Mike Trout, Angels without Mike Trout story is my second pick. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. I was just, I'm just very relieved that when you said Mike Trout, that you weren't like glad that he got hurt. I was prepared to be <laughs> horrified that no. that's all I can think of is, is he's hurt now and Mike Trout's never hurt. No, I was as devastated by that injury as I have been by any non life threatening or career threatening yeah. injury in the recent past. Good. All right, so this is not necessarily number two on my board, but I think it's the last one on my board that is in danger of being picked by you before I get to it. So I'm going to uh -huh. pick Eric Thames uh, okay. and more specifically, Eric Thames being drug tested. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the, the, the whole thing is just part of, it was just such an incredible narrative right up there in the front of the season mm -hmm. back when guys hitting 10 home runs in a week wasn't commonplace. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, guys you'd never heard of hitting 10 home runs in a week. Cause right. like, you know, we talked about Bellinger and, and Aaron judge already. And I mean, just the, the fact that it happened in Milwaukee and the, the background with him going to Korea, the fact that he came on our podcast was pretty cool. And the fact that, he was being drug tested like a cyclist from 2002. Like just every, you know, you hit a home run, you got to pee in a cup and right. you know, he in random drug testing. Yeah. Random, you know, in, in quotes, but he just took all that. And like, he seemed to, he's, it's cool when you can really tell that a player appreciates that what he's doing is awesome. And I mm -hmm. think you get that from, from Thames in a way that you don't get that with every player. So mm -hmm. I was very pleased to root for him 
when he was doing well in April, and he's still hitting pretty well, although he's cooled off uh, since then. So, I, yeah, you know, happy for him, happy for the Brewers, and it's just a, a story I've really uh, enjoyed following and writing about. Yeah, I considered taking him, but I think the way that he slumped since April has spoiled the story for me a little bit. It can't take away from how fun April was, but well, at least he's played and you drafted Mike Trata out of him. So. <laughs> yes. But you know, in May Thames was basically an average hitter in June. He's been significantly below average. And I know he had some hamstring issues and maybe hasn't been a hundred percent, but it won't be as fun a story for me. If we look back at the end of the season and he's just one of those April Chris Shelton type stories that we remember for starting incredibly hot, but then not sustaining it. So you think, think Chris it, Shelton's happy that he's the go-to for that? <laughs> I mean, like there we would are other never guys, be talking but, about but Chris Shelton otherwise. Guy, yeah, so, I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's at least some notoriety for him. But but yeah, I think Thames was a ton of fun in April. I hope that he has some sort of second half rebound because if he continues on his downward trajectory and ends up as like an average hitter for the season or something, then it'll be one of those weird statistical quirks and curiosities. Whereas it looked like he was the real deal for a while there. So I'm going to reserve judgment, I think, on how great the Eric Thames story is on a on a full season basis, but completely fair to pick it as a okay. first half story. All right. Well, I guess I'll stay in the NL Central and I don't know how to phrase this because I feel like the Cubs being bad and the Brewers being good are almost two separate picks that I could take here. But I guess I'll go with the Cubs being bad. And by bad, I mean mediocre and bad relative to expectations for the Cubs. And I think that has made that whole division a lot more interesting. I think we all expected the Cubs to run away with that division. I think they still will win that division. But the fact that we are now roughly at the halfway point of the season and the Cubs, I think, have never been more than four games above 500 and are barely above as we speak is pretty incredible and I think is as improbable as any of the stories of teams that have exceeded expectations thus far. And there are a lot of reasons for it. Obviously, there's Kyle Schwarber's struggles, really the entire lineup's struggles relative to what was expected for them. Chris Bryant, just before we started talking, stepped on the third base bag awkwardly and rolled his ankle, which was not the typical injury, sort of emblematic of how things have gone wrong for the Cubs this year. And they're amazing once in a century defense from last year has not continued this year, partially because the personnel has been different and partially because they have just regressed. And that was one of the most extreme performances we've ever seen. And we couldn't have counted on it to continue, although I would have expected it to continue more so than it has. And now, yeah, you're starting to see the seams here in the clubhouse with the Montero story. So I think that the Cubs are still a good team. I still think they'll be a playoff team. I still think they'll be competitive for years to come. But I think like the Giants being completely terrible or like the Angels being great while Mike Trout has been out, it's another reminder that baseball is very unpredictable. And no matter how great a team looks one year, I mean, we were talking about the Cubs being a dynasty. Now we are talking about them getting over 500. So mm -hmm. I think this is not a, a good story necessarily for, for baseball or for the Cubs fans, but I think it has made that division much more competitive and much more uncertain. And as an impartial spectator, I'd rather see them have to fight for it than see them run away with it again. Yeah, it's been... That hasn't been fun to watch for me because I think it's been a little disconcerting that like uh -huh. I had just assumed that they were going to be really good. And it's like it's it's a little unsettling that they're not and they're not like and last year, like there were reasons not that, you know, that you could find not to like the Cubs, but like they and I think they're in danger of being a little overexposed where you just get tired of mm -hmm. them. And, you know, Joe Madden's yeah. thing runs runs thin after so every so often. And, right. and same with Theo Epstein. And but I don't you know, they weren't really to that point with me yet. So it hasn't been it's been more confusing than anything else. I will say that that'll change if they start dealing with adversity and entertaining ways. And I think mm -hmm. Montero's outburst is the first example of that. <laughs> like yeah. if you start to see them like really lose it, then that 
that could get fun. Um, mm-hmm. But that's so far. It's just it's just been a little weird. Mm-hmm. All right, we're halfway through this thing, so let's take a break to hear from our sponsors, and we will be back after that for the second half of the draft. Today's show is brought to you by Away. Away offers high-quality luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way you travel. Available in nine colors and four sizes, including carry-on sizes that are compliant with all major U.S. airlines, the Away suitcase is lightweight and unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. Not to mention it features a TSA-approved combination lock, four 360-degree spinner wheels, and a patent-pending compression system to help overpackers. Better yet, both sizes of the carry-on are able to charge anything that's powered by a USB cord, a single charge will power your iPhone five times. And thanks to Away's lifetime warranty, if anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for you for life. I'm a terrible packer. I just throw everything in there. I barely fold. But the Away suitcase has an interior design that helps keep even my items neat and organized, which is quite an accomplishment. You can try out Away for 100 days. Vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund. Shipping is free within the lower 48 states, so you've got nothing to lose. For $20 off a suitcase, Visit awaytravel.com slash ringer MLB. That's all one word. And use promo code ringer MLB during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash ringer MLB. Promo code ringer MLB for $20 off your away suitcase. And I also want to tell you about RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on front of the package. No BS. They're perfect for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office, to throw in your bag for a bike ride, a hike, traveling, anything. Better yet, beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX Bars actually taste delicious. With 11 great flavor varieties, all of which are gluten-free, soy-free, free and free of any added sugar, artificial colors and flavors, preservatives or fillers. You can actually taste the cacao, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. We were sent a box of RX bars. I've gobbled them all down in about a week. They're perfect podcast fuel. Seriously, if you're in a rush, you need a meal, but you don't have time to prepare one, one RX bar will keep you going for quite a while. And I'm no gourmet, but I thought they tasted great. And this will be even better for 25% off your first order visit rxbar.com slash MLB and enter the promo code MLB at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash MLB, promo code MLB for 25% off your first order. Now let's get back to the first half draft. For number three, I'm going to pick someone who's not in the major leagues anymore, and that is uh, Ryan Schimpf. Um, mm, yeah. So, you know, speaking of the home run revolution, I can't tell if he's as good as a player can be with a 158 batting average <laughs> or if he's as bad bad as you can be with a 270 isolated power yeah and and it's possible that he's both um so yes i think he's both he hasn't played a a big league game since june 8th and he is one off the team lead in home runs for the padres Uh i mean he's the i sort i think you and i disagree on how entertaining three true outcomes heavy baseball is Mm -hmm. i generally don't like it i'll make an exception though for when it gets really extreme and shimp is uh so extreme just by virtue of being such a great statistical oddity he's been a lot mm-hmm. of fun and is sort of the avatar not only of guys guys you've never heard of hit you know being on pace for 25 30 home run seasons but everything he hits is a home run and frequently he doesn't hit so right <laughs> yeah i agree one of the weirdest player profiles and maybe too weird to survive <laughs> but it was fun while it lasted too, yeah I- <laughs> Not good enough to break the Padres with 14 no. home runs in two months. So that's yeah. speaks volumes. Speaking of which, I think I might stick with the Padres for my next pick. And who could have predicted that the Padres would have two of our top 10 storylines of this season? But I think the Padres three rule five guys on the opening day rosters is one of my favorite stories of this season. So two Padres stories off the off the board in the top seven picks and neither of them. Like if if we had drafted storylines we're looking forward to in like mid-March, neither Mm -hmm. of those would have been the Padres storyline that we would have thought about. Yeah, that's true. Christian Bethancourt. Yeah. And I think the fact that the 
Padres have embraced non-competitiveness to the point that they had three essentially A-ball players on their opening day roster, which has never been done. I wrote about it at the time, and we've seen a lot of terrible teams. We've seen terrible Astros teams. We've seen terrible Cubs teams that were not trying to compete in the short term. And these Padres aren't any worse than those teams were, but they have gone about it in a novel way. When it comes to the three Rule 5 guys, Luis Torrens, Miguel Diaz, and Alan Cordova, who have all been pretty bad at baseball, as you would expect. Torrens has a 38 OPS plus. He is a catcher. He's played 31 games. Miguel Diaz had a 6.82 ERA, largely out of the bullpen before he went on the DL with a forearm strain. I'm sure they'll leave him on the DL as long as they can <laughs> possibly do that. And Cordoba has been the best of them, and even he has a, a 70 say, OPS plus. There, there are times, there have been moments this season where I've talked myself into Alan Cordoba, but yeah, no, he's. I mean, he had impressive minor league stats at a very low level, and I think he is a promising player, but asking him to do what they asked him to do is just an impossible task. So for them to have been as bold about not wanting to win in the short term or or not making a real effort to win in the short term, I thought was, I don't know if it's to be commended, but it's certainly to be noted. And I have been following this all season long just because I mean, it's three A-ball players just masquerading as major leaguers, and they've all been bad, but I don't know. They haven't been so out of their depth that you can't keep them around if you're not trying to win in 2017. So it's been one of my favorite stories of the season, just that they tried it, that they've kept trying it for this long, and... I don't know whether we'll ever see it again. So yeah. that kind of rarity always appeals to me. The Padres have outperformed their run differential by five games this year so wow. far. I'm just looking at their baseball reference page right now. They're they're on mm-hmm. pace to almost 2016 Rangers this season and finish in fourth <laughs> place anyway. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fourth place teams, I'm going to go to Seattle for my right. fourth pick, and I'm going to pick Gene Segura. Hmm. Who and This is sort of a, a personal pick, I, I feel like, because he's a player that I was not high on as a prospect, was not high on as a young player because he came up as a guy who didn't like I don't I never really liked the fast guys who don't walk a whole lot as like I think they're entertaining but I never loved them as like I think this guy's going to be good and stay good for his entire career mm-hmm. and he had a couple down years I think you know he had extenuating off uh, off the field circumstances with uh, the sudden death of his son which I have to imagine would have affected him on the field uh, mm-hmm. for at least part of that time but for the past two years he's been a monster like, yeah. he, 122 OPS plus last year 126 OPS plus this year he just got a, a five-year contract extension out of it even though you know he's been hurt on and off this year and the Mariners is, as a team have struggled with that as much as any contender in baseball probably but mm-hmm. it's it's cool to see like I think he's really underrated right now just because the Mariners don't get if he was playing this well in New York, then he would be, you know, he'd be on national TV every night and we everybody would know his name. But, you know, playing for a mediocre team on the West Coast, you don't get as much attention anyway. But I think like a lot of people just sort of wrote him off after those those couple down years. And I'm pleased to, to see he's doing well. And particularly like it's tough to stand. The other thing is it's tough to stand out as a shortstop nowadays because, you know, particularly a. Uh, a 27-year-old shortstop instead of, you know, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, even some of the younger guys like Tim Anderson who, you know, were bigger prospects but sort of, you know, haven't panned out. Like, he never had that that kind of cachet. So, it's, it's cool mm-hmm. to see him. And to say nothing of his – he got to Seattle in such a way that we got a running gag out of it. So, that's, you know, I'm always <laughs> yeah. in favor of, of things that make for easy content for us. Yeah, and just about everyone involved in that trade has been excellent. Maybe maybe not Zach Curtis, but other than Zach Curtis, Taiwan Walker's been good, Mitch Hanniger's been good, even Cattell Marte has been excellent in AAA. So I don't know <laughs> if there's a, a winner in this trade or not yet. Obviously, it's way too soon to say, but everyone has well, we've got gotten a bet what on they this wanted. Trade. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I, guess... I think the Mariners clearly look like they're they're out in front at the moment, but yeah, yeah I think probably so. Marte but... is still young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I will take the Diamondbacks in a sense. I suppose I'm going to take the NL West race. That's a good if one. I can. That's a really yeah. good one. Just it's been a while since we've had an NL West race, and when we've had NL West races recently, they've always been between the Dodgers and the Giants, and of course the Giants are free falling. And meanwhile, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks have returned to contention. The Dodgers are as good as everyone figured they would be. They've had a lot of fun stories too, but the Diamondbacks and the Rockies after very rough patches in their history have turned things around and they both won in very entertaining ways. The Diamondbacks are this great rotation combined with a great base running unit combined with Paul Goldschmidt being the best player in the league. The Rockies have been probably even more fun to analyze just because in some ways they seem to have defied their underlying stats and outperformed them, but they've had a good bullpen. They've had a good defense, especially by course Field standards. They've been winning on the road, which is not something that the Rockies have historically been able to do. They've seemed to have maybe found some ways to win at cores. They're throwing lots of four seamers. They're getting tons of ground balls. They're having a lot of success with curveballs. So They've been a lot of fun to watch to to see how they have managed to crack this code at least through half a season. And it seems like probably all three of these teams will make the playoffs or at least have uh, the inside track on playoff spots right now. So that's a big difference from anything we've seen in this division for years. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm happy that the Rockies are good for sort of a weird reason that mirrors why I was happy when the Royals were got good a couple years ago is I really like the way Coors Field looks on TV. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's it's a good looking stadium and the the you know the white uniforms with the black pinstripes and you know it's it's a good look. So if we see that mm-hmm. on Sunday Night Baseball or in October, that that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Sadly, not still true. It's it's close, but we are close to the three best records in the National League, all being in the NL West. And yeah. I was talking to uh, my editor, Ryan O'Hanlon, about this uh, a couple weeks ago, thinking like maybe there's a story idea. How you know how long has it been since this happened? And I realized that the three best records in baseball were all in the NL Central just two years ago. So I guess this isn't <laughs> as uncommon as. Uh, as you would think, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean, this is certainly it's, it's way more for it to be in the West. Yeah. Y- yeah. This is certainly way more unexpected than that. Cardinals, Cubs, Pirates division situation was. Yes. All, All right. right. You got one more pick, man. There's so many. Okay. This is going to be weird. People saying Hunter green is a nice kid or otherwise praising his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hunter green was the second overall pick to the uh, Cincinnati reds. He was a two-way player out of California, out of John Carlos Stanton's high school. And he's like, people are comparing him just in terms of like, like charm and smile to Ken Griffey Jr. And he's 17 years old and there's already this, you know, as big a superstar expectation as there's been around any player his age since Bryce Harper. And mm-hmm. part of me's worried that they're just setting him up to fail. But the other thing is like, they're all very certain that he's a really good guy and that he's, you know, going to become this sort of superstar that uh, that baseball is waiting for this almost like messianic expectation that just mm-hmm. because, you know, we've got that that kind of player in Mike Trout, but, you know, he's boring. And, you know, this story has been done to death. You know, I wrote this story in spring training. Mike Trout is the best player that baseball's seen in 10 years, but he's, you know, he's not marketable who is the face of baseball, which I think is less a genuine it's, I think it's an important question, but less a genuine question than just concern trolling by people who like Jeter, like Derek Jeter way too much. So Mm -hmm. like, it's a cocktail of really weird things that speak to a lot of baseball's neuroses that, uh, and to say nothing of the fact that like, that baseball is struggling with its racial identity and having mm-hmm. having the face of baseball be black would be just, you know, a huge PR victory for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially a, a black pitcher, which, as we talked to Troy Hawkins about, yeah. has become increasingly rare. So I don't know, who knows? I, you know, I certainly think that that he's a really good prospect insofar as a high school right handed pitcher can can be counted on for anything. He seems to to have the goods. So, you know, I 
wish him well, but you know, I hope that the, these expectations don't wind up being a, a curse for him. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have drafted 10 things. I just wanted to mention a few honorable mentions yeah. that really would have been interchangeable with any of the picks that I've made so far. But I want to mention the Brewers. I wrote about them last week, and I think what they've done has gotten more attention because of the Cubs' struggles. If the Cubs were as great as everyone expected, the Brewers, even if they played the same, would would be way back, and maybe we wouldn't be celebrating them as much. But I think it is worth celebrating the them. I think they are in the part of their rebuild where you would expect them to be at the absolute nadir, to be terrible, and they have found ways to be competitive, not only to not be abysmal and abominable, but actually good. And I don't know that that will continue. I don't think they'll necessarily end up with a, a winning record, but I don't think the floor is going to fall out completely. I think they're a, a solid team. And They have gone about acquiring this talent in a lot of unorthodox and creative ways. They have very few homegrown players. They've picked up tons of guys through minor league free agent signings, through waiver claims, through trades. They have gone overseas. They have gone to the indie leagues. They have tried to find talent everywhere they possibly can. And they have done this with the lowest payroll in baseball. And I think it's really impressive that they have managed to do this at this point in their rebuild or so soon after they started tearing down a couple of years ago and they've managed to build up a strong farm system at the same time. So the future is bright. The present is brighter than I think anyone had a right to expect. And they've been a a fun team to watch. So kudos to the Brewers for being interesting for half a season. Yeah. Honorable mentions for me. Some of these we've talked about on the podcast at some length. Uh, The crickets at Safeco Field. Um, (laughs) The Freeze, who we had on on the podcast. My like surprise feel good team is also from the upper Midwest. I'd pick the Twins. Uh I think Jose Barrios has been Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Um, Miguel Sano, like I think the game there. There are two guys on that team who I think the game needs to be really good. One is Max Kepler because having a a, Euro, a European trained superstar or even you know just an all star caliber player, which I think is is within Kepler's reach, would be just so huge for growing the game over there. And I think Sano just you talk about personalities, big personalities, and the big guy who hits a lot of home runs is in right now. And Snow could be the the biggest star out of any of them. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're a fun team to watch, even though I think they're finally running out of gas. And I think Cleveland's finally passed them for good. And the Astros have been fun. Not just, you know, just yep. being here in Houston, but they were for a while they were sort of sniffing that uh that 2001 Mariners kind of track where it yeah. was just there were a lot of really good players on the team, but also the the feeling of the the whole being greater than its parts and mm-hmm. you know and they've slowed down a little bit i mean they're still gonna win the al west in a walk which will yeah you know, certainly make travel ar- arrangements for this year's playoffs <laughs> a lot easier for me uh mm-hmm. so like if, if there's a, a yankees astros alcs i think that it'll be it'll be very easy for us to cover but um, yes yeah they've been a lot of fun really deep lineup and dallas keichel's comeback he is a lot of fun to watch and chris davinsky and mm-hmm. correa and just yeah mccullers Altuve. is McCullers is a, is a top five pitcher to watch for me mm-hmm. in baseball right now. And I didn't have this written down, but I, I wrote about him today and, and sort of in the context of he's not as, you know, he's still not as good as Clayton Kershaw, but Max mm-hmm. Scherzer has been electrifying. And the thing yep. about him is the the sense of like that there is a no hitter or, or a 17 strikeout game in there every time out and like I, there was a, a game where he struck out something like 11 guys in the first four innings or something like that yeah. and I was following Chelsea Janes the Nats beat writer for the Washington Post and like in the second inning she tweeted like oh this is one of those Scherzer nights and mm-hmm. it was I don't know. It's I don't know if there's any other pitcher in baseball, including Kershaw, who does that. Mm-hmm. Few last honorable mentions for me. I think John Lester successfully throwing to mm-hmm. first does deserve his own mention here. I think 
Yonder Alonso deserves a, a shout out. He hasn't been quite as extraordinary in June, but he's still been good. And yes, the ball is probably juiced, but not everyone has been able to take advantage of that the way that Yonder Alonso has. He is your latest poster boy for the air balls slash swing hard revolution. And he has made good on his former prospect promise and more. Him and, and Justin Smoke, too. You got to mention Yeah, Justin, Justin Smoke, Smoke also. Mm-hmm. And I think the Nets bullpen is maybe one of my favorite been, stories of this season. It's I, been a I talked about miserable with, story for a I lot of people. I talked about dealing with adversity in entertaining ways, and yeah. that's what I was talking about. Yeah, I, I love, of course, that Matt Albers got his first career save after years of tracking his quest to get that save. But I also love that this has become like a, a cane mutiny sort of situation here where even though the Nationals are running away with the division and are one of the best teams in baseball, they hate their bullpen so much that you're getting a new anonymous quote to Tom Boswell or Barry Sverluga every single day, it seems, from some Nationals position player who is upset about their failure to fix the bullpen. So I like the the fact that a team can be this good while having such an obvious terrible weakness, but I also like the effect it has had. It has uh, upset all the Nationals, but not so much that their season has actually been sunk because of it, and I assume that they will make a move in the next month, although I don't know if there are enough moves they could make to, to fix this in a satisfactory fashion before October. I'm sure they'll try. And lastly, the Mets... I don't know if they should be mentioned in an honorable sense, but I think I I mean, I definitely don't root against the Mets like I would love to see go back and draft. You're turning into a Mets heel. (laughs) Like this is, that's been one of the, the most fun things about the season for me. That your game mutiny reference just now. It'd be a lot of fun if the Mets were clicking and all of their guys were healthy. I don't want Cindergard to be hurt. I don't want any of these guys to be hurt. I want to see healthy flame throwing five man rotation. I want to see Cespedes being great. But in a way, it's just the spectacular flame out of this team and the incredible injury issues have at least given us a lot to talk about this year. It hasn't really been a happy story. It's been a depressing, frustrating, miserable story for a lot of people who followed it. But in terms of just tabloid gossip type story, I don't know that there's been a richer vein this season than the Mets and their ongoing injury issues and Matt Harvey partying issues and everything else that has surrounded them this season. So I'd prefer if they were giving the Nationals a run for the NL East and actually playing up to their potential. But in a way, the the spectacular failure has been entertaining in its own right. Cool. We're going to find out if Sean Fennessy listens all the way to the end of this week's <laughs> podcast, I think. Oh, one last bit of news. I, for, I meant to mention this uh, up top, and I forgot about it last week, so I want to make sure we get to it before it's old news. Congratulations to Big Mike Bauman for getting a bigger paycheck than I'm going to get in my entire life. Uh, he signed for $500,000 and uh, will likely start the season in the New York Penn League uh, in Aberdeen, home of the Ironbirds, and a short hour and change drive from where my parents live so they can go see their, their son pitch. <laughs> Yeah, good for him. And his services are desperately needed in Baltimore. So I hope Aberdeen, he makes it up very the soon. The Ironbirds play in Cal Ripken Jr. Stadium. Mm-hmm. All right. So we actually will have an episode on Monday. We're going to pre record something. We're going to do a, a little trade deadline primer for you and set up the next month or so of transaction speculation. So we will be back with that on Monday and then on Thursday as usual. So abbreviated holiday week, but not for the Ringer MLB show. So have a nice long weekend, everyone. And we will be back on Monday. Talk to you then, Michael. Bye.